0: What would you do if you discovered that you were the great, great, great descendant of royalty? What would you do? In your veins flows the blood of one of the most powerful, most wealthy, most influential people in all of history. And what's more... You've been trying to make your way through life, maybe struggling to get by, and all the while, you find out that you've been the heir, you are the heir of one of the largest fortunes of all time. What would you do? A couple years ago, I found out that my great-great-grandfather was a man by the name of Elmer Burke. He was actually better known as Elmer Trigger. Burke. He was a notorious hitman and was actually executed in the New York State prison in 1958. It's said that as he was sitting there in the chair, uh, he actually waved and smiled to those who were going to witness his execution. (laughs) It's actually not true. Uh, the waving and smiling is true, but I don't know if I'm actually related to him. You've seen the ads for, for services like Ancestry.com. Why do people want to know their, their background? Why do, why do they want to know where they came from? Well, I imagine some are just curious. They say that did something to the cat. Uh, some people though on the other hand, I think they, they 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 would love to know that there is something in their background, some something in, in, in who they the people that they came from that that makes a difference in how they look at themselves and how they see where they're going into the future. What if there's someone in my past who was very significant? Who made a difference in history? Who, uh, who was somebody great? What if there's someone great in my past? What if I'm not just a nobody from nowhere, but there's someone in my story who is somebody special? <laughs> someone in my past that maybe might add some meaning to my life. Isn't it true that knowing where you came from that that changes the way you see the future. It changes it. To these people who were on the run, who were, who were scattered, who were on the verge of experiencing one of the toughest times in Christian history, to those people, Peter wants them to know where they came from. And if you were with us when we began our study in 1 Peter, you, you're familiar with that. Uh, we said that one of the most important things, the secret to persevering through a life of suffering, it's in knowing who you are, who you are. And Peter wants them to know who they are and where they came from. Who are they? Well, they've been chosen by God. Do you remember that? they have been chosen by God. They were called out of darkness and brought into God's family. They had been given a hope and a future. They were living in a place now that was not their home. They didn't belong here anymore. They had been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ and were being transformed by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And here in 1 Peter 1, verse 18, Peter returns to this idea of who these Christians are. But this time, he zeroes in specifically on this aspect of their freedom and the awesome backstory behind it. If you have your Bibles or a phone or device, something that will bring you to God's Word, go ahead and open that up now. And let's look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 21. Would you stand with me as we read from God's Word this morning? And... Just a, just a word of, of note. It doesn't matter where you're seeing these words. It doesn't matter if they're on an electronic device or actually on a piece of paper in a physical book. They're still God's words. And they have life and truth and are filled with hope for us today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says this. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. May God bless the reading of his work. You may be seated. this, This is good. Knowing where you came from, that changes the way that you see the future. That was true for these Christians back then. It's true for us today. Where do they come from? Where do we come from? What is it about the origins of our freedom that Peter wants us to know? I think the first thing he wants us to know is, is that Christian freedom, it has a dark past. Before freedom, there was slavery. You and I may not have uh, Elmer, Trigger, Burke staining the pages of our history books, but if you live and breathe, if you have a membership card to the human race, then you have a dark past, Peter writes, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. It makes no difference whether or not you grew up in a quote-unquote normal home. It doesn't matter if you've lived a relatively good life or if local law enforcement has no record on file for you. If you're like me, you're one of these terrestrial creatures that walk this planet, then you come from a long line of people who, who have lived a feudal life, have lived a feudal existence. Have you ever felt like that? You ever felt like life was, was like a losing battle? <laughs> You're running a race that can't be won. You're pursuing dreams that probably can never be attained. I found a few quotes from people who have felt that same way. Here's one. Every day is a losing battle in this war called life. My defenses have failed. My walls have fallen. My soldiers have given up. At what point do I surrender? Here's another one. Every thought is a battle. Every breath is a war. I don't think I'm winning anymore. You ever felt that way? One more. I've seen how this world is. I'm only 17. We're fighting a losing battle. Hopefully, there's a better life out there. Heart this up if you feel the same. <laughs> Some people feel that way. Maybe you feel that way this morning. But you know, there are other people who don't feel that way. Other people who look on the bright side of things, and they'll tell you, never stop fighting. Don't give up. Don't stop the race. Never stop dreaming. Don't stop believing. Hold on to that feeling, right? Right? There was a former uh, U.S. president who once said, sometimes by losing a battle, you find a new way to win the war. Okay, that's positive thinking. There's something somewhat good about that. But think about this. If the battle that you are fighting is life, then you've only got one shot. come to the end of this race and lose, well then you've lost. You're done. It's over. So maybe there is reasons for concern. Most people are living a losing battle. They're 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 running. They're they're stretching. They're clawing for things that promise security, happiness, fulfillment, significance. But those things end up leaving them high and dry. Now, here's the really funny thing as we look at this passage this morning. The funny thing is this. Peter's letter is to Christians who are losing. They're losing everything. They're losing jobs and homes and family, and friends, and reputations. Peter is talking to these people. They're losers. They're losing everything. And he tells these people, you're not fighting a losing battle because your hope is in the right place. Your hope is in God. You used to be fighting a losing battle. He says, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. He says, their forefathers, they were caught up in this, this feudal way of living. From generation to generation, they passed down this way of living that was just completely worthless. They were accomplishing all sorts of different things. Oh, yeah, they accomplished. But none of that had any lasting value. Jesus said, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? He's saying you can pursue financial security. You can pursue personal pleasure, meaningful relationships, personal significance, self-worth. You can pursue stuff. Oh, yes, you can pursue stuff, right? You can pursue being all that you can be. But what good is any of it? If you get to the end of the day, your days, and you realize that nothing prepared you for eternity. Jesus once told a story about a successful farmer, and he wrote, or he said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. In today's context, that may look like business is flourishing, or maybe it's a report card that came in the mail and it is worth talking about, or it's an achievement that leaves everyone else looking at you with envy and admiration, or maybe it's an investment return that produced far more than you thought it was going to, or maybe it's just a birthday card from grandma. And you open that thing, and a check falls out, and you look at the number printed on that thing, you go, oh my goodness, I am set. That has not happened to me yet. He says, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns, build larger ones, and there... There I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, don't mind talking to myself. You have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax. Eat, drink, be merry. This is what you've been waiting for. God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. The things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. What a terrible thing it is to run after all sorts of different things that you thought were going to make your life filled with with happiness, with significance, with whatever it is that you wanted to fill your life with, only to come to the end and realize none of that really mattered. None of it had any lasting value. That's, that's worse than fighting a losing battle, isn't it? That's, that's finding out you've been fighting the wrong battle. It's kind of like uh, sitting down to take your final exam, and, and after having studied everything, you realize the only thing you didn't study was what's on the paper at the test before you. Oh. That's what the forefathers of the people that Peter was writing to, that, that's what they had done. Many of them would have had fathers or grandfathers great-grandfathers who were part of that elite group known as the pharisees and they were the very religious people who followed every every detail of the law in the strictest sense of it the pharisee would walk by and bystanders would go whoa look at that guy that's a guy who's got front row seats to the big show in heaven (laughs) that guy has got it going on. He's got it all figured out. Jesus called these people whitewashed tombs. And he said to them, you're like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you're full of hypocrisy. And lawlessness. Back in junior high, I I actually had a job. Homeschool kids can kind of do that because we're kind of flexible with our time. And I I worked for a man, another homeschool parent who owned a flooring, a small flooring company. And so he'd call me up, uh, usually around 8, 9, or 10 at night, and say, hey, we're working tomorrow. And then he'd pick me up at 6 a.m. the next morning. And I'd be scrambling to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and get out the door in the morning. And we'd go out and we would lay floor. And so we would lay a tile, a laminate, or a carpet. And I remember we came to this one house. It must have been in like North Pasadena or something like that. And it was beautiful. The street was amazing. It was one of those streets where you know like this is the place to go look at Christmas lights. And the landscaping out front was just amazing. So gorgeous, right? The house was beautiful. The architecture was just phenomenal. Anyone would be happy to live in a house like that, or at least I thought so. This is the kind of place where you walk by and you think, that's the place I'm going for Halloween this year. They're giving out the big candy. And we knocked on the door, and a lady opened it, and we almost fell over backwards by the offensive, ferocious stench that came out of this place. And then as we're pulling up the carpet, it's disintegrating in our hands. You'd get a tiny little chunk, and then you have to get down and get more and more. And it was falling apart all over the place. And you realized <sighs> how long have pet's been living in this house <laughs> and doing whatever they want. It was awful, absolutely awful. Kind of what Jesus is getting at here. It's so easy to make yourself look good on the outside, doing all sorts of different things. And this is one of the biggest complaints that people have against Christians. They say, oh yeah, you've cleaned yourself up. You look great on the outside. Oh, you wear your nice clothes to church. You got your Bibles. Everything is all in or Oh, We know what's really going on in your home. And if you grew up in a Christian home, you knew you had a first-hand seat, first row seat to some of the hypocrisy maybe you saw in your, your family and in your parents. You're, they're fighting on the way to church, and then you pull in a parking lot, you get out of the car, and then, oh, hello, how, how are you all doing? I'm a Christian. <sighs> so easy to just make yourself look good on the outside when the source of the problem lies on the inside, and no matter how many coats of fresh paint how much money you pour into the landscaping, it doesn't fix the decay on the inside. And that brings us to our our core truth of the week. (laughs) And it's this, that since the fall, since that time when we first initially walked away from our maker, walked away and said, you know what, God, we're not doing things your way anymore, we're gonna do it our way. Since the fall, no human has been able to, to keep the whole law of God perfectly. We haven't been able to do it. There's none righteous. There's not even one. No one is is truly good through and through, inside and out. We can try. We can can give our best effort to be moral, (laughs) and we do. But even the strongest attempts end up in miserable failure, don't they? They do. We see that happening in our country today. We saw that just this past week. Oh, yes, we are moral Americans. We are very moral. In fact, we're morally superior to what we used to be. We're far more moral. In fact, we live in a day and age where we now believe that anybody can be whatever they want, whatever they say, whatever they identify themselves to be. And we saw the latest nominee to the U.S. Supreme Court. And this person is asked a question. Can you define the word woman? And that person says, I can't. And we say to ourselves, what an emotionally intelligent, thoughtful, loving, inclusive, progressive kind of thing to say. Of course, we need to be uh, careful and, and not to offend those biological males who identify as females. That's the morally superior thing to do. It makes sense to so many of us. Maybe some in this room say, "Yeah, that does make sense. That does seem like you know a loving thing to do." But all the while, when moving in this loving direction, we gotta realize that these. These efforts are inflicting grievous harm. They're spitting in the face. They're trampling the achievements. They make it insurmountably difficult for true women to to attain the honor or recognition they rightly deserve. Make no mistake, what's happening on the University of Pennsylvania swim team is just the beginning. Morally superior? Something's not right here. This is the feudal cycle that Peter is describing. People, generation after generation, trying to fix themselves. There's something good in that. They're trying to be good enough. They're trying to add meaning to their lives by filling our lives with all sorts of things, activities, accomplishments. We're trying to be fulfilled by reducing as much pain and increasing as much pleasure as we possibly can. Trying to be on the right side of history. Trying to be moral apart from truth. And it doesn't fix anything. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes was someone who had run after just about everything and accomplished just about every pursuit that he set his mind to. And his conclusion was, everything's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. Man, what a tragedy. Come to the finish line of life and find that the good things that you thought you did just don't measure up. Or maybe they were entirely the wrong things. That's the ultimate bad day. It is the ultimate bad day. But check out what Peter says. You were ransomed from the feudal ways of your forefathers. We use that word ransom a lot, we use it to describe uh, the payment that's made to, to uh, release someone who is being held hostage. These people were being held hostage by humanity's bad ideas of what it means to live a meaningful life. But someone paid the ransom price and freed them from this pointless way of living. And Peter is basically saying, you've been saved from that old way of living. You're saved from from hopelessness, saved from running around trying to accomplish things that you can never accomplish on your own. Saved from living for the pleasures and pursuits that end up turning up empty and leaving you worse off than you started, saved from permanent separation from God. And that should have an impact. It should have an impact on the way you see the days ahead. Knowing where you came from, it changes how you see the future. The dark past in the rearview mirror matters. And so does the realization that Christian freedom didn't come cheap. Christian freedom didn't come cheap, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. You were ransomed. You were you were purchased out of this hopeless cycle of living when Jesus Christ went to the cross. Your ransom was made by Christ's sacrifice, and that sacrifice was rather pricey. Peter compares it to silver or gold. Both of those metals are of great value. They were of great value. They are of great value today. We call silver and gold precious metals. Peter calls the blood of Jesus that was shed for you and for me. He calls that precious. It's precious because of its incredible value. If I spilled my blood on your behalf, that would be rather gruesome. If I spilled my blood on your behalf so that your life could be saved, then that that blood would be more valuable than it is just pulsing through my veins right now, wouldn't it? (laughs) True confessions, I was re-watching an episode of Deadliest Catch the other day. And there was this moment where one of the crab, crab boats, that's crab fishing off, off Alaska coast, um, they witness a man from another boat thrown off the boat and into the freezing, freezing water. They, they know there's, there's just moments for this person to live. And you see this boat immediately, drastically, the alarm goes off and they're heading for this guy and they're... Fighting against all you know, everything to save this guy's life. They throw him a a life ring, they pull him aboard, they have him down in the hold. He's shivering, blankets all over him, and he is weeping. Telling everyone who passes by, and you see this, you saved my life. You saved my life. And then the captain comes in and he says, How are you doing? And the man grabs him, and forehead to forehead, he is sobbing, you saved my life. And I was crying, I was bawling, I do that. (laughs) If I sacrifice my life for you, my life, the value goes way up to you. Just like the value of this crab boat, this guy didn't even probably know about before, The value skyrockets, but Peter is talking about this perfect son of God, become human and shed his blood for you and for me. That's something far more valuable. Silver and gold, they don't last. And maybe our lifetime, they, they last. They're, they're around for a while. Eventually, they're, they're gone. Peter points out that silver and gold are perishable. They, they can be ruined. They can be taken away. Unlike that, the sacrifice that Jesus made as a ransom for you and for me is permanent. Doesn't get old. Doesn't expire. And its accomplishment can never be reversed. Silver and gold, they have values that don't last. They go up, they go down. There's no fluctuation when it comes to the value of Christ's blood. Christ's life is of unwavering, unchanging, eternal value. Silver and gold, they aren't perfect. <laughs> there are grades, there are purity levels, degrees of purity. Christ, on the other hand, is absolutely 100% perfection peter says that he's like a lamb without blemish or spot a lamb long before jesus went to the cross god had given his people a metaphor for understanding the sacrifice that jesus would one day make because of disobedience to god That was a fence that could only be paid for in blood. His people were instructed, sacrifice a spotless, a perfect lamb as a substitute. It had to be completely perfect. There couldn't be any deformities. There couldn't be any nasty little marks about this thing. I imagine smells, too, had to be pretty good. If you're growing up in the church, you may or may not remember that when God was going to strike down the firstborn in Egypt it was a perfect lamb that was going to have to be killed blood taken and put over the doorpost of the homes the price of freedom all of this was a picture all of it was to point people to Jesus as the ultimate final infinitely valuable sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sin and the price of our freedom from those old, feudal ways. If you drive by my house, on, on most days, you'll see a flag hanging out front. The seven red stripes on that flag, they have some really deep meaning for me. And it's not because I had grandparents who died in the war, I, I, wars. I probably, I probably have. Those seven red stripes to me are a reminder of my freedom. The freedom that I enjoy as an American citizen, it's imperfect. (laughs) But it came at a very high price. There are men and women who have gone before me who have lived and fought and bled and died. So that my family and I might enjoy the life that we now have on this soil. Knowing that my freedom did not come cheap, that changes the way I look at the future. It changes the way I look at the day before me. As I see that flag hanging there, it tells me that each day that I have before me, precious. It was paid for with a high price. How much more should the costly price that was pray, paid for the freedom from those old feudal ways? How much more should that impact the way that we look at each and every morning? We are blessed to see the sunrise. Knowing where you came from. Changes the way you see the future. The dark past in our rearview mirrors matters. The realization that Christ, that Christian freedom, didn't come cheap, matters. Finally, so should the reality of of our Christian freedom. That it has ancient roots. Christian freedom has ancient roots. Have you thought about this? He was foreknown before the foundation of the world what was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory. Jesus' death on the cross was not a backup plan. It was plan A. It was plan A from before the foundations of the earth. Plan A. That's pretty awesome. Several years ago, there was a trend among uh, many evangelical churches, and they would, they would grab up and they would decorate anything and everything with, with what appeared to them as old. <laughs> they would litter their stages with, with candles, and, they, and they'd tack up these Celtic-looking crosses, and they'd even print their bulletins in that ever-loathsome papyrus font, Oh, my gosh, dark days, very dark days. But I get the reason for it. People wanted to feel like they were a part of something that wasn't new, that wasn't novel. They didn't want their faith to look like it was some trend, some passing thing. They wanted to believe in something and, and, and know that what they were doing on Sunday mornings or whatever, whatever it was they met in corporate worship, that was sacred, that was solid. It was something that was deeply, deeply rooted in history. Something that, that was significant, not just for this present day, but was directly linked to the entire story of humanity. Friends, let me say this. We don't need candles. We don't need old crosses. We don't need outdated typefaces to make us feel like we are part of something substantial. We don't need that. The reality is the origin of our freedom begins not 20 years ago. It doesn't even begin 2,000 years ago. It began before the foundation. Before you were ever born, God knew you would be caught up in this futile, pointless, worthless way of living that all of us are caught up in. He knew that you'd be running after all sorts of things that you thought were going to have lasting meaning and value when what, what we really needed was to be brought out of that and reunited with him. And so before you were even born, no, long before that, before the foundations of this planet were laid, the ransom from, for your freedom was planned. How does that make you feel? Small? Finite? Inadequate? Insignificant? What about loved? What about valued? <laughs> what about blessed? Protected? Significant? Secure. Knowing where you came from, it changes how you see the future. Knowing our dark past, knowing that freedom didn't come cheap, that it has ancient roots, that changes the way we see the future. It leads us to say, whoa, God is good. I'm not a nobody from nowhere. That's not me. From eternity past, my freedom was planned to be purchased with the most valuable currency. I do not have a meaningless, irrelevant existence. I'm part of a, the marvelous, most important, most significant plan in all of history. Wow. But you know it should do more than that? It should do more than just give us the warm fuzzies. (laughs) Peter tells us the biggest result it should have. It should tell us where our faith and hope should be. All of this is so that your faith and hope are in God, he says. Where's your faith and hope? Friends, if you're like me then you're looking out at the days ahead and there is a big question mark hanging over those days. I don't know when the war in Ukraine will end. I don't know if the war will spread. I don't know if my, my lifelong friend who's serving over there in Germany is going to be safe. We've talked about that. We've prayed about that. I don't know if gas prices are ever going to go down. I sure hope they do. I don't, know that, I don't know what the self-serving politicians are going to do next. I don't know. I don't know what the, the futile thinking of this age that makes the foolish thinking of the past look like sanity. I don't know how that's going to impact us next. I don't know if my daughters will hold on to the small seeds of faith that I see in them. I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to be able to walk across the finish line here at Bethany without the word FAILURE printed on my file in big, bold, all-caps, letters. I don't know. But I do know that where my freedom in Christ comes from makes a world of difference for how I see the future. True, I may not know a lot of things. But if what God has accomplished in Christ tells me anything, it tells me that my faith and my hope for the future belong completely in him. What about you? Do you know where you come from? Do you, does your freedom come from a dark, feudal past? Are you aware that the freedom that, if you have faith in Christ right now, are you aware that that freedom did not come cheap? Do you stand dumbfounded at the reality that if, if you now have new life in Christ, it's something that, that has roots that go back far beyond anything that we could even label? ancient <laughs> it goes that far back knowing where you came from changes how you see the future may the knowledge of where your freedom came from lead you to look at the future with faith and hope in god father we thank you for your word this is powerful powerful stuff Thank you, Lord, that that what we're doing here, this is not about some guy getting hyped up and behind a a, a new pulpit and and just trying to motivate us on. No, this is about (laughs) a love letter from you that tells us the story of reality, that opens our eyes to see the magnificence of the awesome, sovereign God of all eternity who thought of us. Lord, I am in awe of you as I pray that all of us are. And Lord, as we step into the days ahead, Lord, we are so tempted. We are, we're so weak. We're so tempted to panic. We're so tempted to speculate. We're so tempted to get caught up in conspiracy theories. We're so tempted to go even uh, inquire as to how much those those bomb shelters cost. (laughs) Do we have room in our backyard? Lord, help us to take seriously the words of your servant Peter. Help us to continue to reflect on the absolute beauty of what you have done for us in calling us your own and making a way for us to return to you. Thank you for, Lord, the assurance that we have in Christ, the future that we have in him. May that be where our eyes look. And Father, may we just be drawn to hope in you trust in you, rely upon you, obey you in the days ahead. We love you. Lord, I pray your blessing upon these people in this room. Would you bless them? Would you protect them? Would you keep them? Preserve them? Lord, when I say those words, what I'm really saying is, would you draw them to yourself by any means possible that they might come to know you in a way as they have never known you before, love and trust you in a way that they have never known before. Lord, that they would be like these people that Peter was writing to, maybe even losing, losing it all and yet finding everything in you. We pray these things in the mighty, loving, strong, living name of Jesus Christ. For his sake, for his glory.